0: Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Uh, Hey there and welcome to this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I'm Ben Currier and I'm very excited about today's guest. He's the author of the newly released book, Onward, Where Certainty Ends, Possibility Begins. I believe that was released just a little over a month ago. He's also the mastermind behind creativeonpurpose.com and the head coach of the Creatives Workshop, which is, a course, underneath the umbrella of my main man, Seth Godin's Akimbo Workshops. I'm very pleased to introduce Scott Perry. Hey there, Scott. How's it going?
1: Going really well, Ben. Uh, as I say in the book, perfect in every way. And I'm really, really pleased to be spending this time with you. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Yes. Thank you for being here. Uh, I don't know. Do you have any idea what the what the podcast will be about really? Or are you kind of going into it blind? I'm just curious because some people are are scared. I think you have a pretty a confident relationship with failure, but I'm not hundred uh, percent sure. I,
1: I, 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 failure is my best friend. And so <laughs> when I came across a podcast called failure guy podcast, I was like, I must be on this show. This is, this, this show is built for me. Well, Thank you. Thank
0: you. Yes. Well, I'm very happy to have you here. And I'm glad to hear that for the most part, the reaction seems to be positive. At least people tend to, while no one likes to experience failure, or at least it's hard to get yourself to, to be that way. Um, a lot of people do, like to learn from the mistakes of others and try to figure out what makes someone uh, successful. And I was curious, because I i don't know if this is accurate, but it looked like you've written four books in the last two years. Is that right?
1: Yes. Uh, with the caveat that they're all handbooks. They're all on the short side. Um, mm-hmm. Onward is under 100 pages. Its predecessor, Endeavor, was just over 100 pages. Um, creative on Purpose Handbook is somewhere in the neighborhood of forty pages or so. So th- they're I ha- have actually very intentionally tried to craft really concise, actionable books in the the spirit of handbooks like uh, the, um, like Epictetus's handbook or or the Enchiridion or, or or even Marcus Aurelius's journal. You know, the books from antiquity that were mm-hmm. just meant to be full of aphorisms and and maxims to help you actually get out and do the work of living well as opposed to spending a lot of time navel gazing
0: Hmm. yeah well so don't don't sell yourself too short but i guess you kind of turn that around by uh comparing yourself to some of those uh authors from antiquity Uh, i'm wondering though still even though it's not that long in terms of pages i'm curious what what is your secret for staying so productive secret for well
1: so you you know we're all built Really differently, and uh, you know, I I have been told by many people that I, I I project as a productive person, and I am. I can get a lot accomplished. I can do a lot of work in a day. Um, I'm an early riser, and I sit at my desk and I work all day. And I go for my cemetery run, and then I sit at my work desk and work all day. And so work gets done. One of the things that I unpacked and onward that I've had to learn is that there's a big difference between being productive and making progress. And one of the reasons why I am so uh, uh, definitely not comparing myself to Epictetus or Marcus Aurelius. Just saying they're my mentors. They're <laughs> <For> my <sure. laughs> they're, they're they're the the gold standard that I strive to achieve. But mm-hmm. um, you know you can't see this on audio, but over my Shoulder is a sign that says less is more, and this is the, the thing that I am trying to live by because I have always been a person that does too much, yeah. says too much, delivers too much, um, and trying to be concise and intentional and specific about what I produce, knowing and making sure I know who it's for and what the transformation is that I'm trying to make with with that work, with and for whoever that work is done. And so... Uh, that's, you know, my, my, the secret is that after many years of thrashing my way to clarity, now that I have clarity about what I'm here to do and who it's for, Mm -hmm. I just try to make sure that every day I produce something that will help people get from where they are to where they want to be and the difference that they are here to make in the world.
0: Yeah. Well, so I think choosing someone and make, being sure who your target audience is is so important, not only because it helps you make better content for them, but I think what you were just talking about, about being overly verbose and including too much is because if you're not sure who you're writing it for and you write it for everyone, then you have to be all inclusive and make sure anyone can understand it. And so maybe that's part of why it it can, a lot of times you can, myself included, write things that are far too long just because you want to make sure there's no way they can get it wrong. but that might lose people and they might not even read, uh, any of it. So, uh, was, is there anything you've learned over that, um, experience to, to make it easier to cut things or to, to do less or, you know, basically ha- have less be more.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, you just, you just articulated it beautifully. I mean, just being very, cl- you know, your work, if your work is for everyone, it's actually for no one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we don't live in a world anymore where everybody watches one of the, three shows on the three networks you know a big hit can have fewer than a million viewers on television as a book uh, as a Broadway play or anything else it does not take the kind of mass appeal that um, we used to we used to all crave and strive for and one of the things a real, pivot for me came when I came across Kevin Kelly's uh, piece on a thousand true fans. I don't know if you're familiar with Kevin Kelly or that piece, but it's yes, a, I've heard of it. It's a phenomenal read. It's on available for free online. It's a, it's a one page, two page PDF, but the idea is really simple. If you find a, a thousand people, each of whom will give you $100 um, for the work that you produce, you can make a living doing the work that you want to do. You can def- refine your voice and develop your craft for a specific audience. It doesn't take, you know, and you can reverse engineer the math. If you get mm-hmm. 100 people to give you $1,000, bucks, you are still making a good living. Yeah. And so when I started to take that approach of, like, I don't need to find a bunch of people. I just need to find a few people. Mm-hmm. And then Seth... Godin, you know, who you referenced earlier, has a, a piece called First Ten. And that, coupled with Kevin Kelly's work, really nailed it for me. Because very, I, I was working for four years trying to figure out what is, what is this thing that I'm building? Like, what am I actually trying to do here? Mm-hmm. And I don't know who it's for. And Seth's piece, First Ten, is, you know, can you make something? Can you promise something that ten people will buy before you build it? and make it small enough that you could build it in a weekend and deliver it. And that's how you test the viability and sustainability of your idea. Mm-hmm. And so the very first thing I built was my first book on Amazon. And I created an Amazon sales page. And I said, if 10 people buy this, I'll write it by <laughs> November, whatever that was, 2016.
0: So it was so like a pre-order sale. kind of a situation? Is exactly, that-
1: okay. exactly. I built a sales page, I put it, made it available for pre-order. I sold 12 copies, I think, which put me on the hook to deliver the book. And I wrote the book. And that was the beginning of my adventures in finding the right audience, but also finding a process that helped me deliver the right work and do that work with and for the right people.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I know for me personally, I went way too long not charging anything for stuff because I was too hesitant that there would be any kind of a desire for what I was making. And so for like, I don't know, seven or eight years, I just had free content. I didn't even have ads on my site because I didn't want to A, seem salesy, but also turn people away from that. But B, I wanted to make it as much of an experience for them as possible to see what people want to see. But I definitely spent way too long before I started actually offering anything that you could buy um, just because of, I think it's a physical reluctance to sales and like being salesy and stuff, which I've, you know, gotten over with the help of Seth and some other people's, uh, you know, fantastic writing on marketing and sales. But uh, I was wondering for online learning related, so I I do have my own course, which I just mentioned, it's an Excel course. And sometimes I have, uh, you know, hesitations or limitations about actually getting the work done, and you've you've stayed really good at doing that. Do you have any advice for people who wanna create more, but they don't have good uh, ways of coming up with new ideas or things to explore if they wanna be creating stuff, but they can't come up with outlets to be creative in that time where they're still trying to find their voice?
1: Well, coming up with good ideas, Um, As Seth has articulated so many times, is really a process of coming up with as many bad ideas as you can, because the bad ideas always precede the good ideas. And the more bad ideas you have, the more good ideas will come along. And I think that the pursuit of clarity. So you can't know, you can't figure it all out and then reverse engineer success doing the work before you actually know who the work is for or even what the work is really for and putting that work out in the world where people can find it and will help you find some of the right people. And they will tell you how the work needs to be iterated and refined so that it better serves their needs. And um, and it's just a, a virtuous process. One of the things that I wrote in Endeavor that I refined in the Creative on Purpose Handbook is a process where the best way that i have found to help people kind of find the work that they're meant to do now so, you know whatever it is a passion project or a side hustle or whatever it is is start with who and the start and the who you need to start with is you what are your values what are your core principles what are, what are the guiding principles that you live your life by because th- those things are really important and if you do a lot of work out of alignment with who you really are you will suffer yeah and so dial in who you are, dial in your core values, be on, take an honest audit of your skills and talents, hard skills, the things that you learned in school and on the job, and soft skills, the human skills that actually really matter, the skills you've been practicing ever since you exited the womb. And then pay attention to the people that you surround yourself with. Who are the people that share your values, and need your talents to enhance their lives and if you can think of that as a three circle venn at the center of that there's work to be found that will align with who you are what you're good at and where you belong and once you have an idea of that then what i was just speaking to earlier is a great process for getting better at getting better ideas and doing better work show up every day do something for those people pay attention to what feedback you get reflect on it iterate show up the next day with something that's just a half a shade better than what you delivered the day before
0: yeah i think that's great advice because i know uh, for myself and for a lot of people they can much more easily uh, be a critic or critique things but in order to do that you have to have something that is created in order to to do that so a lot of times you just got to create something even if it's not good then you can always chisel in and refine that and i think that's a great segue to you know really the matter of hand the the topic of the podcast, which is failure. Uh, I was watching you in an August 4th interview with Seth Godin. And the first thing that I saw in this video that Seth said was uh, the creative process is about failure. It's about serial failure and generosity. Um, How do you go about changing your mindset to embrace failure rather than run away from it? I spent 35 years
1: of my adult life as a professional musician. And one of the things that musicians say all the time is that's the gig. I mean, musicians that are pros, musicians that actually make a living doing doing that work, which is, you know, it's there are easier ways to make a living for sure. Um, but, you know, every gig can't be the Chicago Blues Festival or the main stage at, you know, your favorite venue. Uh-huh. A lot of the gigs are crappy dive bars with a television set behind you playing, you know, a football game doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what the gig is. A musician plays the gig. A pro shows up and does, does his work, does her work. And so part of it is just that idea, like accepting that failure is part of the process. I o- kind of open up onward with the, the, uh, a reminder that creativity is a an embrace of failure in pursuit of failing less badly (laughs) in the pursuit of, of making something happen, making a positive change for the
0: better happen. Yeah. What I say, uh, sorry, what I say there's fail it till you nail it instead of fake it till the make it, which is just keep doing it until you're good at it.
1: Fantastic. Well, and so this is, this is how we learned everything important in our lives. When you were a baby and you wanted to learn how to talk, Were you all like caught up in your head about, oh, I don't want to fail. I don't want to sound stupid. No, people were doing this talking thing. It looked fun and you gurgled and Googled and gagged until you turned those into words and then you strung words into phrases and then sentences and then paragraphs. And eventually, you know, and so you failed your way into being a really amazing talker long before you even went to school long before you even learned how to read and you did the same thing with reading with walking with riding a bike with you know making your first peanut butter and jelly sandwich you do it poorly until you do it not as poorly until you do it well and at some point it becomes unconscious excellence in whatever the craft is and we get that beaten out of us by institutional learning and just our institutional lives in general, whether it's the government, the workplace, the culture, society in general, you know, we have really disassociate we we find ourselves disassociated with our creative impulse. But it's a basic human instinct. And if you can remind yourself that you were once a fearless creative Mm -hmm. who who reveled in failing their way into possibility then you can remind yourself that actually failure 99% of the time is not deadly and mm-hmm. in fact 97% of the time nobody even notices nor do they care and yeah. so what what do you have to lose because at some point we're all going to end up looking back on our lives and you know are we going to be celebrating all the times that we didn't do something we desperately wanted to do cuz we were afraid to fail or are we going to celebrate all the times that we tried something that we didn't and with no idea of whether or not it would work and by doing that repeatedly we we found we made some sort of positive change we made an, a positive impact on the world
0: i like i like that and i like the the mentioning of when we're first learning earlier things like uh, how to talk, because I think one of the most important things in those situations and what you mentioned was reveling in in the, the task at hand, but also it's the lack of pressure that's involved with a lot of the situations as you get older, there's just more and more pressure surrounding the learning atmosphere. And it's not geared towards actually learning things, but more like, you know, becoming a cog in the system. So I'm glad to hear that you, you, try to get people to tap into those times before they had it kind of beaten out of them you know so to speak well,
1: and and children are play uh, approach failure playfully you know mm-hmm. they, i mean there's a lot of giggling and <laughs> laughing that goes along with trying to learn how to talk and and walk and ride you know i mean maybe there's some some tears and scraped knees <laughs> with a bike riding piece but it's all done with um a spirit of of uh, curiosity, uh, a, a courage—you know—that uh, we lose over time if we don't pay attention. And with a sense of, you know, this is—it's a game. It's—it's it's just, you know, it's the game of life. It's a form of play. It's—it's it's a way of embracing uncertainty and adversity that helps us continue to move forward uh, into our potential and 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 start delivering on our promise.
0: Yeah. That actually just reminds me when I first learned how to ride a bike, my stepdad tried and failed to teach me and his method just involved a lot of pressure and he was dropping me down a hill and I was going into park cars and hitting everything. And I only learned once I was by myself and just doing it on this level ground because when I was trying, you know, trying and failing with no pressure. And so I like that, uh, you know, you're kind of of the same mindset. One of the benefits of being on this podcast is that you get a get out of fail free card. So, you know, you can, you can use this card to then, um, go towards anything that you might have resisted in life or thought that you would like it or would be good at it. But, uh, the, the thought of failure kept you away from it. It sounds like music didn't do that, even though for a lot of people, that'd be too much to put themselves out there. Is there a realm of life that you would pursue if failure wasn't uh, possible? It could be a yeah, hobby, it, a career or. Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I
1: it's, it's a, it's a, it's kind of like an old coaching trope, you know, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Right. Mm -hmm. um, Seth turns that question on its head and says, what would you do even if you knew you would fail? And I, I think that's actually a much more interesting question because I think anything that's worth doing is accompanied by failure Mm-hmm. And so failure is not, you know, again, we're all wired differently. We're all we all have different tolerances and and you know just postures in the way that we approach life and, and work. I've always been kind of a leap first and the net will appear type of person, and I have, you know, discovered that the net doesn't always appear
0: for sure. Mm-hmm. So let's say that failure is an option, but is there something specifically you've avoided um going towards because of uh, you know? the amount of failure that might be involved or the stress related to whatever that might be acting stand-up, um, a random hobby, maybe a chess grandmaster. I don't know what it could be.
1: Yeah. There's, I mean, I've, I have done a lot of things in my life and I've tried a lot of things and mostly I've been a person that like, if I decide I'm going to do something, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And I'm going to, and I don't have to be, uh, you know, the best. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. the, the thing that's, you know, when you look at anyone's life, it's full of things that um, of risks and chances and opportunities to fail and fail badly. You know, just most human relationships, most intimate relationships is uh, just requires an embrace of not only failure, but humiliation. Right. You will. If you love, you will experience humiliation. Mm mm-hmm. What a profound thing that you know there are these things um, that almost all human beings are willing to put on the line um, without without the the get out of you know free card with um, <laughs> failure. If I I don't know. I mean, if I I mean you know if I knew I couldn't fail, would I want to you know fly? Sure. I I don't know. You, you, strap a strap a rocket on let's go
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah well i mean so for example i think mine would probably be like stand-up comedy because uh the amount of failure is so intense and so required and part of almost every aspect of it and the amount of judgment you're getting as you're probably performing i haven't done it but it you know I'm, i'm i will at some point but it's just so nerve wracking. So I think that's where that kind of mindset would help me out if I knew that there was less possibility of that. But to your point, there's no scenario where that exists. So you really got to, but I think it helps to me to figure out what's the next thing I would be okay with failing at. And, but I got to first think about it in a no pressure scenario. That's why Yeah. For no. me that going to that future state and thinking about when you don't, when you're not failing anymore, maybe is, is a better way of putting it. That's a way I like to see. Well, would that be a lifestyle, or in a way I'd want to live? And would that be cool, or maybe not? You know, who knows? I'm curious. What is your uh, so the next big fail? What is what are you hoping to fail at next? Is there a big endeavor that you're just on the path towards uh, towards going down?
1: Well, I am. um, By the time this uh, podcast is released, I will have announced that. I'm closing down my guitar lesson studio, which is something I've loved to do and have been doing for the last 15 years alongside with um, my music career, which I ended my performance
0: career about three years ago. Um, and was that playing in a band with you were playing guitar in a band? Or I, yeah, what was so
1: I, I had a career as a solo guitarist and in several duos. I, I mean, I made a living by by playing a lot of music in a lot of different. Um, different situations. Uh, Uh And, you know, I, and I did it for a really long time and I, and I loved it and I did it until I stopped loving it. And, you know, I I was in a position to be able to retire from that and can, was when I started working for Seth in the Akimba workshops, but I also had this guitar studio that was keeping me very busy. And now, um, now I I just realized that it's time that I can let that go. You and I are having a conversation about, having a lot of full-time jobs, you know, Mm -hmm. and this is what creative people tend to be. You know, for a long time, I was, you know, a head coach or a coach in Seth's akimbo workshops. I had a full roster of 40 plus students for my lesson studio. I was gigging three or four days a week. I mean, I was, you know, I was stretched really, really thin. Mm -hmm. A lot of that time was after my my boys were grown and gone. Um, You know, so it's, again, less is more. Uh-huh. I'm just trying to get more and more focused. And the work that I'm doing now at Creative on Purpose and the work that I get to do coaching and Seth's programs is the work that makes me feel like I I can have the biggest impact and the biggest uh, you know, opportunity to create meaningful change with and for other people who are interested in creating meaningful change. And this my my mission really now is i want things i want to help make things better Mm -hmm. i can't do that entirely on my own at the moment so i get this platform of Seth's, which lets me do it at a scale i would not be able to do um you know without access to to his reach and platform um and but you know at at some point i I want creative on purpose to be an an enterprise that and, and in some ways, it is already there, but just to be an enterprise that you know—that's my—that's my main gig. So I am failing my way forward for sure. Um, you know, with the coaching program and the community that I lead it, creative on, on purpose. Um, but at the same time, still really enjoying the work that I get to do in Akimba workshops, and 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 I've loved all the work that I've done.
0: Well, I'm certainly sorry to hear about the the guitar um workshop going the the way of the dodo, but I'm glad to hear at least so one thing that I, I so I love Seth Sakimbo podcast. I suggest anybody listening should definitely check it out. Absolutely. I um I love what he says about hobbies and how you shouldn't that they're kind of holy, so to speak, and you shouldn't really encroach on them. And did you experience that much with the guitar training? Or did you like did it get to the point where it wasn't fun anymore and it was it had lost its pizzazz as your kind of side thing that it was yours and maybe encroached into more of an area of uh being more annoyance than than positivity? But maybe you like coaching so much that it, it wouldn't do that.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, in retrospect, I would, I would, I caution lots of young musicians that come up to me and say, hey, I want to turn this into my vocation. I want to do the, to make this my job. Um, Because when you turn your, your musical craft into your occupation, um, you will find very, very quickly that you are spending a lot less time with your guitar and a lot more time on a calendar, on the phone, in a van with a bunch of smelly dudes, mm-hmm. traveling up and down the highway. Um, you know, it's, I joke around and, and, and call my time as a touring musician, the gory days, not the glory days, mm-hmm. the glory days. I like that, Um, man. when I, when I started doing music full time, I was still in my twenties. My first son had just been born. I knew that You know pretty soon there's going to be way too much pressure to keep me from doing this and i just i didn't want to be the age i am now and look back and say "Ah, i wonder if i could have made it you know i wonder if i could have done something with that music thing i was pretty good so i just made a deal with my wife i i want to try this for a year and if it doesn't work i can always go back you know i I, i'm easily employable (laughs) i can get another job um and so I set out with this idea, like, all I have to do is make enough today to be able to do this tomorrow. And I actually had that mindset all the way through th- for 35 years. And I made a promise to myself really early because I, I was blessed to be working with a lot of really top notch older performers as a young musician. But I would find myself from time to time hanging out with, you know, these jaded old guys that were crazy just crying about how they weren't getting the respect they deserve, the money that they deserve, the gigs they deserve. You know, nobody was paying attention. I just was like, and I was feeling like, oh, my God, I'm playing my guitar and making money. This is amazing. And so I just made it myself a, a promise. Like, I if I ever start to sound like that, it's time for me to quit the business. Mm-hmm. And I went through a period of about 20 years where I'd never experienced that. But there was a, a period of time where I caught myself one day having a conversation with myself in some bathroom in some crappy bar, you know, what the hell are you doing? And I just like instantly recalled what I had promised myself and said, listen, this is the work that you chose to do. You get to do this. You don't have to do this. Uh And if you either do this and love it, or stop doing this and go, go do something else. And that, little conversation with myself helped me get past that bad patch and continue a career for another 15 years or so. But to your point, turning your hobby into your profession is a fraught enterprise and I do not recommend it. If you love the guitar and you love playing the guitar, learn to play the guitar, develop Mm -hmm. your craft play some open mics, play some local gigs, enjoy that. I was became a professional musician because I couldn't stand the idea of not doing it. And every time I tried to quit, I went right back to it. It was like what I was born to do or what I was meant to do at that time. And I did it as long as it made sense to continue to do it. And when it didn't make sense to do it, I said, okay, I rode that pony for as long as I could. It was fun. I had a blast. Thank you so much. And I moved on to the next thing.
0: And is that when you found uh, Alt-MBA? Because I know that has always struck me as something that's intriguing, and I know it had a big impact on you. I don't know if that was when you uh, made the big transition in your life to leave the the music yeah, life. Yeah, it ab-
1: absolutely was. So I took the Alt-MBA 6 in 2016. I went in wanting to unpack this idea I had for creating my own online guitar instruction empire. Um, And by the time that program was over a month later, I didn't want to be a guitar player anymore. I didn't want to be a performing musician anymore. I didn't want to, didn't want anything to do with a guitar, online guitar empire. All I knew was that I was eager to work with other people like the people that I had met there. and. Reacquaint myself with my love for philosophy and for writing and for just, you know, personal development and personal growth in general. And, you know, as I articulated earlier, I spent four years trying to figure out what that was going to be. But I figured it out by doing doing the work and showing up and publishing every day
0: that just triggered a memory in me of uh an older job that i had so i used to work for it's actually kind of a music company but it's in boston massachusetts where i grew up and it's uh the one that makes the rock band and the original guitar hero video games Mm -hmm. and when i i had i loved playing the games and then i got a chance to play test for them. So to play like rock band two before it came out. And then I just brought my resume and handed it to the lady who's running it to see if I could work doing finance. And I ended up working for them for like, I don't know, five years, but I'm curious, how did you weasel your way to do the creatives workshop when you started out in the alt MBA? How'd, how'd that transition go? How'd you get the opportunity to help um, not only become a student, but then train some of these uh, in some of these workshops?
1: It it, I, it was completely unexpected. I, I you know, when I finished the Alt-MBA, I was tapped to go through their coaching program for the Alt-MBA, but I didn't get a gig coaching for the Alt-MBA. I was disappointed. I, you know, the Alt-MBA was a transformative experience. I really thought that the next natural step for me would be to coach in that program, but it, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I remember sharing with Seth in an email um, after I'd processed it, you know, I, I finally was like, okay, you got to let that go. That didn't happen. And, you know... Instead, why don't you focus on the gift of time that you can now dedicate toward figuring out what your thing is and what you want to do. And so, when I finally kind of got myself pulled back together, I remember writing Seth and saying, hey, just, you know, want to thank you for the, op- for, for the Alt-MBA, for the opportunity to try to be the, you know, coach in the program. And it didn't work out. But, you know, now I, I realize I actually have the opportunity to develop my thing. Um, and just, you know, kind of said, thank you. And he said, bingo. That was his, he's famous for his very short emails. And his his email back to me was bingo, go, go, go. And that, you know, was really motivating to me. And so I spent a lot of time working on my thing. The marketing seminar was the first Akimbo workshop. Um, I was invited to come on and be a student in that to, as part of their, you know, beta group. Thoroughly enjoyed that. That's where I wrote my first book. And then soon after that, I was repeating the marketing seminar because I'd been invited back, I think, for the fourth session. And the w- woman that was in charge of the Akimbo workshop said, Would you like to be a coach? And I was like, Would I? Um,
0: mm-hmm. you, know, you know, I
1: don't know. I, you know, I can't tell you what, what it
0: was, but, um, well, it was just trying. It was showing up yeah, and, it, and
1: doing it. Was, it. I, 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 you know, what I always tell people is if you, a coach is just a title and you, and you can act like a coach and you can, you can project as a coach and you can do the work of a coach without having that title. And, and what we, I have found is that, um, you know, people that are acting as if and doing good work without, Attaching themselves to desires and outcomes, you know, tend to tend to get more uh, of of the kind of work that they want to do. And so, I, I feel very, very lucky to have had that opportunity. Never saw it coming. Extremely grateful for it because you know, I really do feel the Akimbo workshops and the Alt MBA make a huge difference, not just in individual lives, but in the world through the work that the, the graduates of those programs do.
0: Yeah, I've only I've only heard great things. And I think um, one thing you mentioned there, that's, uh, you know, kind of really important is, is figuring out whether, whether you have the designation of a coach or however you want to project yourself, it's more about focusing on getting the thing done than what the result is. I know when I transitioned my mindset from, well, how many people opened that email I sent to what's in the email is it any good and did i send it and then that's the metric of whether i accomplished what i needed to do and then the other things are just kind of a bonus to let you know how right you are and and how useful uh you're being is there any tips you have there or any any advice you'd you'd want to give people on how to just better embrace that kind of a mentality
1: well i think you um already really kind of articulated my message which would be you know we In this country in particular, we tend to be very outcome driven and we tend to be very short sighted about how do we get there. And so oftentimes we find ourselves making concessions against our character and against our better nature um, in order to get short term gains. we're recording this as the pandemic is still raging, as there's still a political situation still sorting itself out, as we're still wrestling with um, the long overdue reckoning over you know racial injustice. And what we all know now is that there is nothing certain. The dirty little secret is nothing has ever been certain. Uh-huh. It's just that for a long time, every day looked like the previous day and we got lulled into this false sense that this is just the way it's going to be. This is, everything is okay Mm -hmm. and I know where I stand and I know what's expected. I'm good with this. We'll just have another one of those please. And when you let go of your attachment to specific outcomes and results, what you're left with is the content of your character and the quality of your effort. And that's all you really get. And if you let the process, let the effort be the reward by, again, investing in that with intention and integrity, you will find yourself living uh, a life of greater equanimity and joy because you can get up and do that work every day, regardless of who reads the email or, mm-hmm. or what impact the email has. The, the work itself is its own reward. So do worthwhile work. Do it with Do it with passion Mm -hmm. and do it with purpose and you will get more purpose and passion in return. And you can live the rest of your days happy and tranquil knowing that you've done the best you can. That's all you get. That's all you get is the quality of your effort and your ability to frame your situation or reframe your situation so that you can see the silver linings and the positive lessons. And, you know, just to speak to your podcast theme, you know, when we, when we experience total failure, there is still opportunity in that because in total failure, we get to practice the necessary human virtues of patience and acceptance and humility and, mm-hmm. and cultivate the resilience that will enable us to get up the next day and try it again or try something else.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important because uh, also total failure or really big, uh, you know, moments of failure can most times it, it'll just remove all of the rules that you thought you had to play by. So you can think in ways that you might not have thought before because, well, now you don't really give a shit anymore. You can just kind of do what feels right and explore things that you would have been too worried about if you were in that, you know, comfortable space. Absolutely.
1: Perspective. We, we get to choose how we see
0: things. Yeah. Um, Before we wrap up and and point people where you um, might want to have them find you, do you want to is there any other maybe insights or stories about failure that you want to share that you haven't already mentioned? Just out of curiosity.
1: Um, I think one of my favorite quotes of all time comes from Marcus Aurelius's meditations, and it's love the humble art that you have been given and take rest in it. The humble art is the art of living and the art of living is fraught. And at the same time, it's a gift and it should be loved. It should be embraced because not everybody gets, gets that. Mm -hmm. And baked into that idea of, you know, living life fully without expectation without clinging an attachment to outcomes beyond your control is this idea of gratitude. And I think that it is, you know, when we think about failure, we think a lot about anxiety. It is impossible to be anxious and grateful at the same time. And so when you find yourself being challenged and experiencing failure, you you can be grateful for the gift of that challenge and the lessons that you will learn and the you know the, the strength of character that you will develop as a result of confronting that and mm-hmm. persevering and the resilience that you'll earn um, and so gratitude uh, is you know just the antidote when when you find yourself
0: confronting failure and, and the anxiety that surrounds that. I think that's a really great point and a good way of of combating those feelings. Because I know I've been trying as much as possible to embrace failure, um, even to the point of getting my license plate, which says "failure," uh, on it. Uh, but some days I go out and I see it, I'm just and it gets me down a little bit because there's so much, like you're saying, anxiety and just negativity wrapped up in the word itself. And so I think what you're saying about gratitude is a great way to uh, pivot away from a word that a lot of people. You know, sometimes resist for good reason, um, not for good reason and the fact that it would help them, but for good reason, because it, it can be a lot for people. Is there is there anywhere where you want to point the listeners to take a look at what you're doing uh, these days?
1: Yeah. So it, um, Onward has been doing very well on Amazon. It was released on Thanksgiving Day, which as we're recording is, is less than a week ago. Oh, wow. Um, it reached number one as a number one new release in several categories. It's getting really great reviews um there are some people whose names you would recognize that have written testimonials about the book so if you are eager to explore possibility with the difference only you can make and need a little help with getting the mindset and posture for embracing uncertainty and navigating adversity i think onward is a very short read that can have a big impact so if you google Amazon, Scott Perry and onward, it'll come up. And then uh, if you're interested in some of my writing, my own broadcast, and some of the other things that I'm up to, go to creativeonpurpose.com, where we have all sorts of resources for discovering, developing and delivering the difference that only you can make.
0: Awesome. I will go ahead and and add those into the show notes as well in case people uh, don't remember what to search for. I want to just thank you for joining me today, though, and appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing some of your experiences. I, uh, I definitely appreciate it.
1: Oh, it was a delightful conversation, Ben. You're a great interviewer, and I really appreciate the work that you're doing and the difference that you make in the
0: world. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Take it easy. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.